Hey, everybody, this is Dan Clydman, editor-in-chief of Yahoo News and co-host of Skullduggery. Just wanted to let you know that this will be our last episode of the podcast until the new year, but we will be back for more Skullduggery, and we're looking forward to being back with you. What happens if you vote to impeach a president and then you don't send the articles of impeachment over to the Senate for a trial? Is the president actually impeached? Or do we enter a weird constitutional limbo land where nobody is quite sure what to make of the process and the president's status? Those are among the questions that were raised this week when right after the House voted to adopt two articles of impeachment against President Trump, Speaker Nancy Pelosi balked at sending them over to the Senate until she is assured the trial of the president will be fair with real-life witnesses, such as former National Security Advisor John Bolton and Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney called to testify. But will Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell ever go for it? And what exactly is Pelosi's strategy? We'll discuss with one of the leaders in the impeachment fight, Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland, and we'll talk to Elizabeth Harrington, the official spokesperson for the Republican National Committee, to get the GOP perspective on impeachment on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So, you know, we thought we had completely gamed out the impeachment saga. The House was going to vote. The outcome was pretty much foreordained that the articles would pass. They would get sent over to the Senate and the Senate would have a trial and acquit the president. And then Speaker Pelosi throws this curveball, balking at sending over the articles of impeachment. The House has now gone on recess for two weeks. No articles have been sent over. And it's a really un clear what happens from here something we were not expecting yeah look we don't know how how this is going to play out ultimately i I still am skeptical i think that uh we're going to end up with you know john bolton and mick mulvaney being cross-examined by democratic uh, managers in the senate but who knows what strikes me is that you have these two very crafty political players in speaker pelosi and and leader mcconnell a kind of clash of titans here that's kind of fascinating to watch. It's a risky strategy on Pelosi's part, because on the one hand, you know, yes, she is putting pressure on McConnell. She's putting pressure on some of these more moderate Senate Democrats, uh, Senate Republicans to go for a, you know, a fairer trial as, as they would see it. And it's clever in the sense that this is what we're talking about. The debate right now is should there be witnesses or not? And that's part of how she puts pressure on them. On the other hand, the longer this goes on, the longer it looks like a typical Washington inside the Beltway food fight. And I think people will lose their patience um, and it kind of diminishes the whole process. And so I think they can't go on like this forever. And there is going to be a trial. So someone's going to have to 
back down. Yeah, and just to make things even weirder, Pelosi on Friday, which is the day we're taping, officially sends a letter to the president inviting him to give his State of the Union address to the full Congress the first week in February. Hard to um, figure out at this point whether the trial <laughs> will have taken place by then. Will this he may, be giving a State of the Union yeah. address to a Congress, that to a Senate that is having the trial? I mean, this is uh, yeah. a little bit uh, mind-blowing surreal. in a lot of ways. But um, even before then, this may be the first time that a uh, president responds to a formal letter from the Speaker of the House inviting them to, to uh, give the State of the Union address. And it might be one of those six-page letters, you know, like the last diatribe <laughs> that Trump sent to Nancy Pelosi. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe the entire State of the Union will be a diatribe <laughs> attacking Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. Hey, but speaking of surreal, uh, we should take note of this remarkable Washington Post uh, story today. Putin's sway is feared in Trump's Ukraine fixation. Uh, three bylines, one of them, Shane Harris, a uh, a two-time guest on Skullduggery, I believe. And the point is that Trump's whole obsession with the idea that there was Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election, that's what he, that's what he was asking Zelensky to investigate during the infamous July 25th phone call, that it all may come from Putin himself. In fact, as the uh, Post reports right after after Trump had that private meeting in Hamburg at the Group of 20 with Putin in which no U.S. officials were present. He was relying on Putin's own translator in that talk. Trump becomes more and more insistent about the supposed Ukrainian interference. And when asked about it, a senior official says the president told him Ukraine was the real culprit because, quote, Putin told me, <laughs> you know, <So. laughs> you can see you can see Putin like, you know, somewhere in the Kremlin rubbing his hands together and, and cackling diabolically and saying, look at me. I, I've just smeared Ukraine, my rival Ukraine, and while at the same time ensnared the president of the United States in an impeachment uh, proceeding. So it is crazy. I mean, it's sort of echoes of the Manchurian candidate here, the Manchurian president could this get even stranger? You cannot make this shit up. You know, and you got to wonder whether this uh, becomes new evidence that will be presented in the Senate trial going forward. So this uh, you, you have you have to wonder if 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 somewhere out there, some former KGB overseer is not saying to himself, well played, Agent Putin. <laughs> well, there's the um, maybe that's the title yeah. of our podcast. Yeah. Okay. Well, in any case, we got uh, two uh, good guests to get to, so uh, let's get on with it. We now have with us our go-to guest on all things impeachment, Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland, a member of the House Judiciary Committee, one of the leaders in the House fight to impeach the president. Congressman, welcome back to Skullduggery. Well, I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks for having me. So you voted this historic two articles of impeachment. You approved them in the House this week. And then the speaker throws us a curveball by suggesting she is not 
going to immediately present those articles to the Senate for trial, as we all expected she was going to do. Where do things stand right now? Well, the Article One of the Constitution gives the House of Representatives the sole power over impeachment, and part of the impeachment power includes the right and the implied duty to deliver the articles to the Senate. But that's something that can be undertaken at the discretion of the House of Representatives itself. So the Speaker um, is holding them for the time being because she's concerned, as we are all extremely concerned, about whether the Senate intends to undertake its solemn duty of actually conducting a trial. And what leads us to question it is the statements by um, Senator McConnell as majority leader that he's coordinating strategy with the White House and that they're working essentially hand in glove. And then the statements by the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham, that he's not interested in the evidence. He's not interested in the facts. He's not interested in the law. He's seen what he needs to see, and um, he plans on um, acquitting the president. So that's alarming because the Constitution calls on the Senate to conduct a trial. It has broad latitude and discretion within that constitutional assignment. However, to say that you're not going to look at the evidence or the facts would get you disqualified from every jury pool in the United States of America. If you were in a voir dire and the judge said to you, will you pay attention to the facts? Will you pay attention to the evidence? Will you pay attention to the law? And you say, no, I've already made up my mind. You would be dismissed immediately. So this is a quasi-judicial and an admittedly quasi-political process, but it can't be a mockery of the Constitution. Congressman, can you just give us just one more beat of explanation about what the strategy here is? It sounds like this is an effort to put pressure on McConnell, but also to put pressure on or have the president maybe put pressure on McConnell, the president who wants a trial and wants to be and expects to be acquitted. And now you can have this impeachment hanging over him without getting that opportunity to acquit himself. Is that what's going on here? No, but we're waiting for the Senate to make the most minimal provisions for the fairness of a trial. It's got to be fair in the sense that the team of managers that's sent over is paid attention to and the evidence presented is paid attention to and respected. And um, it's got to be fair to the defendant as well. Look, each senator has taken an oath in prior impeachments and presumably will swear a general oath again here. This is a juror's oath. It's under Rule 25 of the Senate. And it says, I solemnly swear or affirm that in all things appertaining to the trial of X, the defendant, now pending, I will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws, so help me God. Well, right now, the people running the whole trial could not in good conscience say that they were going to render impartial justice. So that's a, you know, we're not going to participate in a process that makes a mockery out of the Constitution. So are you concerned? This Isn't this a risky strategy for the speaker that people outside of Washington who are watching this, and obviously this is a political process, you do need to have the support of the American people if you're going to get anywhere in the Senate, that this looks like more of the kind of Washington kind of gamesmanship uh, that they're sick and tired of. And this is supposed to be a sober process, a serious process. You know, I understand what you're saying about the importance of having um, a fair trial. 
but it just seems like uh, a, a risky way of doing it. Well, everything that we have undertaken from the very beginning has been consistent with the values of the Constitution. It has been undertaken with complete seriousness and complete solemnity. And we've bent over backwards to try to be fair in the House of Representatives. The kinds of things that our colleagues across the aisle have complained about have been complete minutia compared to what we're talking about here, where the people conducting the whole trial process essentially have said it's over before it begins. You know, again, in any in any courthouse in the land, not only would jurors be uh, rejected from a jury pool for saying that they were going to disregard the evidence and the facts, but a judge who told them that that's okay, that you should just render this according to your political bias, according to your political prejudice, could be thrown off of the bench for that, or certainly disciplined for saying that, and uh, undoubtedly overruled for saying that. So it's a very serious problem. And you know, the the phrase checks and balances in the Federalist Papers comes not from a description of the three branches of government. It's never used in that way. Checks and balances is always about the relationship between the House and the Senate. And so this is part of a vigorous um, interplay between the House and the Senate that is totally contemplated by the framers. But we are not going to roll over and say, yeah, you can give us some, uh, you know, drive through justice with, uh, you know, one afternoon hearing where everything is dealt with on a motion to dismiss and no evidence is heard. We're, we're not going to accept that. The issues are far too serious. And we were trying to make sure that the country is engaged in what's happening before they throw the whole process away. Okay. So you said we're not going to participate in a trial that's a mockery of justice. So if McConnell doesn't move, and just to be clear, McConnell's position is we'll deal with the question of witnesses after the trial begins. We'll begin the trial, and then, you know, if the House Democrats want to call witnesses, you can call your witnesses. There'll be a Senate vote on whether or not to hear those witnesses. So if McConnell doesn't budge, you're saying the House will not participate, it will not send those articles over, and you'll you're prepared to wait indefinitely have this whole issue hang over the congress and the country throughout 2020 is that what you're saying well no um, because it's not up to me it's going to be up to speaker pelosi so at this point if you know but if that's you're pushing, your position it, well if you're pushing that's from your hypothetical position. to hypothetical not- i'll tell you what my position is my position is is that so long as they do not make the most minimal provisions for a fair trial then we should not participate in a farce. That is my own personal position, you know, speaking as one member of the House of Representatives. I think that, uh, you know, it's far too serious for that. I mean, you know, if the House of Representatives were to say, well, we're going to flip a coin in deciding whether or not to impeach someone, or we're not going to have any witnesses at all, or we're just going to take a public opinion poll and do it, um, the process too. We are trying to adhere to our constitutional oaths to implement this process, which admittedly has political dimensions into it because of who we are, we're elected officials, but it also has a very important quasi-judicial character that we have to respect. It is the language of trial and conviction that is used in the Constitution. And in fact, the word impeachment itself has both the constitutional meaning that we're all familiar with, but it also has the courthouse legal meaning of debunking someone's lies. And that part of impeachment has taken place here. In other words, the the lies that were told to try to protect the president have been debunked and punctured here. And we have 
what we consider now an established fact as to what took place with the Ukraine shakedown. We believe that the abuse of power is an established fact and the obstruction of Congress is an established fact, you know, unless and until the president is tried in a fair trial in the Senate and is acquitted of it. So so there's a potential flaw with uh, Speaker uh, Pelosi's strategy here which is that a constitutional uh, law professor who was one of the uh, chief witnesses of the House Judiciary Committee in its impeachment hearings, uh, Noah Feldman of of Harvard Law School, has written an op-ed piece in which he has argued that the president is not impeached until those articles are transmitted to the Senate, walked over by House managers. Uh, There are no House managers yet. And that essentially... Until that happens, uh, Trump can argue that he has not been impeached. You're a uh, a longtime uh, constitutional law professor. What's your take on Professor uh, Feldman's uh, argument there? Well, I've not read an article or analysis by him of that question. I'd be very interested to see why he's saying that. I certainly don't know of any authority that stands for that proposition certainly no judicial or case authority, and I don't think there's anything in the rules of the House of Representatives about it. We have the sole power of impeachment, and we have declared that the president has been impeached on these two articles. I I can't quite see why the timing of the transmittal of those documents to the Senate determine the underlying character of the legislative action. Well, I think the analogy would be grand jurors voting to indict somebody, but uh, the grand jury foreman not signing it and it never being presented to the court. So you've taken a vote, but I think the Feldman uh, position is you haven't actually impeached the guy. And if you don't send those articles over, there'll always be a question about whether or not Donald Trump was actually the third president to be impeached or not. There'll be an asterisk well, uh, next to I, the impeachment. I, I promise you I will research and think some more about this, but I, I'm not persuaded, at least you know, by the little I know of what he has said. In any event, you know, I don't think we have to spend too much time on that hypothetical because it's everybody's intention that this go to the Senate and that there be a trial. But the point is that we want the country to put serious pressure on the Senate to conduct the trial with seriousness. And the polls show, for example, on the question of witnesses, that even though I think only, I don't know, 51 or 52 percent of the people are declaring themselves right now in favor of impeachment and removal, something like 70 percent of the people are saying, yes, the president should make all witnesses available. So I think the country is firmly behind the idea of a real trial and a fair trial. And that is consistent with all of the traditions we've got. And I I, I just reject completely Mitch McConnell's notion that this is just a political process in the sense of, you know, a bunch of ward healers getting together to say, okay, now we're going to protect our guy and we're going to give the finger to the Constitution and the framers. So, uh, Congressman, there's been speculation that you may indeed be one of the House managers. I'm not sure if... if you know that that's uh, likely to happen. I assume it would, it would be uh, uh, you would consider it an honor to have that opportunity. But uh, walk us through the what the process is going to be like. What does a house manager do? And if you were a house manager, what would be your approach uh, to uh, prosecuting this case? So, first of all, I don't know anything about who's going to be a manager at this point, and so I, I can't speak to the, you know the the speculation question. It would obviously be an honor to do it. It would also be an 
awesome weight and responsibility to do it. And, you know, I think it would be a, a very challenging assignment for any of us who's asked to go over. But essentially, the impeachment managers are the team of prosecutors who present the case based on both the facts and on the law. So at some points, the the team of managers is acting primarily as trial prosecutors, if you will, where they are trying to elucidate the facts of the case and elicit testimony in the event of uh, witnesses in order to make the most compelling factual argument possible. And at other points, the impeachment managers are acting like appellate lawyers, if you will, arguing about the character of the offense, why the offense is indeed a high crime and misdemeanor, and warrants conviction on the evidence. And then the final piece of it is whether removal is warranted, you know, and any other further penalties. So if you break it down, it's actually not just a yes or no, guilty or not guilty. There's the question of um, whether uh, the facts alleged have been proven, whether the facts alleged in the articles, in fact, constitute a high crime and misdemeanor, whether the president is guilty based on uh, the standard of proof that's identified by the Senate as relevant. And then even if the person, the president or a judge in some cases is found guilty of high crime and misdemeanor, whether they should be removed and whether they should be barred from holding further civil office. And actually, the question of whether they should be barred from holding further federal office is a that's a an additional step, right? That would be another vote, uh, because as I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the there uh, you have a um, a colleague um, in the House, Alcee Hastings of Florida, who was impeached, convicted as a judge, but then was able to run uh, for the House because he was not barred from federal office. Correct, and again. Um you know, because of, under Article 1, Section 6, each House sets the rules of its own proceedings. It would be up to the Senate to determine precisely how to divide that up in questions to the Senate operating like a jury. It could actually right. divide it up in a number of different ways. But yes, that part certainly would have to would require a separate vote. Congressman, let me dissect some of your arguments here. You're resting a lot on the fact that Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham have made clear they have no intention of voting to acquit the Senate. But look, how many of the Democratic senators have already said they believed Donald Trump's conduct deserved impeachment? Certainly every Democratic candidate running for president has said they wanted to see uh, Donald Trump. Trump impeached. So the idea that this is an impartial jury from either on either the Republican side or the Democratic side doesn't seem to make much sense. By your analogy about disqualifying jurors, almost the entire Senate would have to be disqualified. So how can you make such a big deal about the fact that Mitch McConnell has made clear what his position is when so has almost every Democratic senator? But it's precisely the fact that you have political men and women, you have senators acting as jurors that requires the Senate to operate with as much procedural formality and rectitude as possible. They seem to be taking that insight, which you just shared, and to say, therefore, the whole thing is political, therefore, we don't really need a process 
come on in and let's voice vote it and then we can have a roll call and we'll be done with it. You know, and that does not do justice to the constitutional design. And remember, the Senate, which has the power to impeach presidents, also has the power to impeach judges. Would we take the position with respect to judges that, well, we don't really care about what the process is? You know, it's enough to know that, oh, well, if the judge was appointed by a Democrat for president or a Republican for president, that everybody's going to line up in partisan fashion. You just end up reinforcing and deepening the worst partisan instincts. And I agree with you. We live in a deeply polarized and partisan time. But should we just surrender to that? Or should we try to get people to remember that the Constitution calls us to play different roles in this context? You know, at the end of the day, uh, there are, you know, a right now anyway, a limited number of senators on the Republican side who would uh, even consider voting for a conviction. So I guess one of my questions is, as a manager, impeachment manager, as a, as a prosecutor in this case, aren't you going to have to be thinking about those individual senators, jurors, if you will, who are, you know, have any any chance at all um, of persuading uh, to convict and to vote for removal? And isn't that inherently a political process? In other words, you're not just thinking about the, the evidence and, and the law, but you also have to keep in mind their own situation in their state when they're up for re-election um, and how that factors into uh, into all of this. Well, let me just restate and forgive me, but uh, I am I have not been uh, asked to be an impeachment manager and I have no idea who the impeachment managers fair, are. Fair but, enough. But, you know, just on this point, when, when we say, well, you know, so-and-so senators um, would be very unlikely to say that they could ever dream of acquitting or dream of convicting or whatever. The real question to ask them is, can they swear to the oath that they're going to take to render impartial justice under the Constitution and the laws? That's the real question. So, the, you know, the, these are intelligent people who recognize they've taken political positions in the past and so on. Can they say for the purposes of the trial that they will pay attention to what the charges are and they will pay attention to what the facts are brought before them. I hope that uh, Democrats approach it with an open mind, and they might they might say, well, we, we think there's not sufficient evidence. Maybe the reason there's not sufficient evidence is because the president has blockaded all of the witnesses, and we'd like to get more witnesses before we decide. That would strike me as a reasonable thing to do. That would be beyond partisanship. They might say, you know, this charge looks like you have compelling evidence in this charge not. And I think that there's some Republicans, especially if more evidence comes out and more evidence is coming out every single day, uh, including in today's Washington Post, where there's an article about how it was uh, Vladimir Putin himself who convinced Donald Trump uh, to follow the Russian disinformation that it was Ukraine in 2016 that upended our election and not Russia, um, I would hope some Republicans would say, wow, that goes way over the edge. And now my eyes are open on this and um, I'm willing to look at it. So, yeah, I don't want to be overly cynical about the whole thing. I think the framers were smart enough to create a procedural structure that if we take it seriously, 
people will have to rise intellectually to the occasion. If we don't take it seriously, then we're just going to drag it down into the partisan mud with everything else. So it's, that, it's, basically, why, it's basically the opposite of what I posited, which is that uh, to make this decision, they have to do it according to the law, the facts, and their conscience, and not politics. That's right. I, I think that they really have to try to step out of it. Now, obviously, you know, it's the it's going to be the same human beings voting, and we would expect that there would be traces of their politics involved. But you know, unless we're saying that the constitutional oath that they're under means nothing, and they can't play that constitutional role, then I think that we've got to try to proceed seriously with it and make everybody go through it. Maybe the result is the same, but maybe not. We don't know what's going to happen. And every day, events are changing. The information is changing. People's understandings are changing. And so why don't we just try to follow the wisdom of uh, the founders here? So here's what some might see as a contradiction in your position. We all listened to the debate on the House floor in which you and others presented the case against the president as overwhelming, as irrefutable. And now after you get the articles passed, you're saying, well, we can't take it to trial until we hear these other witnesses who we haven't heard from. If the case is so overwhelming, why do you need the other witnesses? And secondly, on that, you could have gone to court to try to get those witnesses when you were conducting the House investigation. You're clearly not in that big of a rush because you're delaying sending the articles over. So in retrospect, shouldn't you have gone to court? Do you regret not having to go, gone to court and at least getting some judicial ruling that the uh, that Bolton, Mulvaney, and others are required to testify? Both questions, well, the contradiction, with and the should you have gone to court? The evidence is overwhelming. The evidence we have, we had 17 witnesses whose testimony is essentially uncontradicted and unrefuted in any way, and all of them told a story that coheres perfectly of the president engineering a shakedown of President Zelensky in order to get so him to come and make So then why do you need other witnesses? So, I'm sorry? So, so why do you need extra, so why do you need other witnesses? You, you, you well, believe you've I, got it. I don't know exactly who you're quoting there, but that's not my position. My position is not that we should not deliver the articles until they commit to particular witnesses. That is not my position. My position is that what we should like to see is a guarantee of a commitment to a fair trial process. So I believe the fair trial process outlined by the speaker is calling these other witnesses. That's the test the speaker has laid out as what she wants to see as a fair trial. So if this is the request, and you know, forgive me because I was very caught up in what we were doing, so I haven't followed as much what's happening on the Senate side, but if Senator Schumer has taken the position that there needs to be the possibility to call additional witnesses and the minority has to have the right to call them and he's set forth who they are, then that strikes me as completely consistent with Anglo-American jurisprudence and our notion of the due process of laws going back centuries, why should they not have that right? Is that the point that Schumer has actually requested specific witnesses? He said he wants to be able to call witnesses. Yeah. And well, McConnell I mean, is saying, again, let's I, I wait don't until the trial the begins. Here, but I think that that would be a very reasonable request for a basic condition of minimal fairness in the trial. The ability to call witnesses, that has always been understood as what's part of due process. And, and I mean, it's odd because the government has never had a problem getting that. 
you know, here the government's case or the House's case is up against the wall only because the opposite party is in control in the Senate and is basically trashing centuries of understanding of what a fair trial is. I mean, you would think that that would be quite basic, but but I guess I was just reacting to the suggestion that there needs to be this specific person or that specific person. Otherwise, it's not a fair trial. Sometimes for different reasons, you can't guarantee the delivery of a particular witness, but there's got to be the opportunity to call witnesses. I mean, it's very hard to think of... um, a fair trial consistent with due process that does not give both sides the opportunity to call witnesses. Well, you know what happens if you give both sides the opportunity to call witnesses. The uh, the, the president's lawyers are going to call Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and the whistleblower. Well, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that other than, you know, all the witnesses should be relevant to the charges that are brought. In this case, they should be relevant to the articles of impeachment and the Senate, uh, as the quasi-juridical body operating here, um, should have a mechanism for resolving these things, whether it involves the Chief Justice of the United States or some other you know, fair and neutral system of thinking about it. But if the uh, president's defense um, is that he called for this investigation into Joe Biden, uh, Burisma, and, and Hunter Biden, if that's his kind of core defense, obviously Democrats don't, don't believe it's a, it's a very strong one, but that is the defense, then um, in a fair trial, wouldn't you be allowed, wouldn't they be allowed to make that case? And if the Democrats call their witnesses, wouldn't they be able to call their own witnesses? And wouldn't that likely mean Hunter Biden and Joe Biden? Well, in a trial courtroom, you would have motions in limine, motions to limit the evidence based on whether the contemplated evidence is relevant to the allegations in the trial. So there certainly should be uh, an opportunity to have memoranda of law and legal arguments about whether this is relevant or not as an evidentiary matter. But, you know, that that would strike me as something that would be contemplated under due process as well. Now, hopefully all of it could be worked out in advance through some kind of reasonable negotiation as to the requirements of a fair trial. I don't know where that is on the Senate side. And obviously, the ball is essentially in their court here. I mean, it's really going to be up to them to come up with the procedures. But um, I think it was just jarring to members of the House of Representatives. We felt as if we had bent over backwards to make sure that we had the opportunity to hear equally from the lawyers on both sides, questioning from both sides, the opportunity for the president to call witnesses to be represented and so on. And the president didn't avail himself of any of the opportunities we provided. But we really tried to stick to a core set of procedures that anybody would consider fair. And then it turns to the Senate and suddenly we hear about how they're not interested in the evidence. They're not interested in the facts. They're coordinating with the White House and they want to turn the whole thing into a stage spectacle of a brief duration instead of getting to the heart of the matter. So I think we've got to make sure they're paying attention to the facts and the law. In retrospect, do you regret not having gone to court to try to uh, enforce a subpoena against uh, Bolton, Mulvaney, Pompeo, and others? Um, that, no, if you I had think a judicial that, ruling, um, you know, wouldn't very your hand be a lot stronger? I think that Chairman Schiff and the Intelligence Committee played it exactly right. Um, you know, because of the integrity of the process, we were able to attract 17 witnesses uh, whose 
stories all made sense. Nobody is supporting the kinds of things the president is saying about how his conduct was perfect and absolutely perfect. And he was really on a uh, hitherto unknown uh, one-man anti-corruption crusade, as opposed to trying to shake down the Ukrainian president. And look, we've been winning in court whenever we go into court. It just takes a very long time. And, uh, you know, when they're not accusing us of having taken way too long to do this and having take, gone on for years, they're accusing us of moving too quickly. The point is, is that we needed to move by the end of the year so the Senate would have the opportunity to have a, a trial as quickly as possible in the new year. And they should do that, but they should set forth minimal requirements for having due process and fairness in the procedure. I got one last question very quickly. So bottom line, uh, Congressman, do you expect we will see a trial in the, in January? Well, I, I definitely expect that we will see a trial. And I think it's got to be every citizen's determination that the trial will be a fair one, meaning that the Senate jury will act in an impartial way. And that means they will respond to the evidence and the law in a way that they would respond to the evidence and law if the defendant were of the other political party. It should not be based on the partisan affiliation of the person who's brought to the Senate by the House on impeachment charges. Well, we've, uh, we've got to wrap it up here, but I would say that uh, given all of your, uh, your brilliant arguments on skullduggery, uh, the House leadership and Speaker Pelosi would, would be well to, to, uh, to appoint you a, a House manager. I know you're not going to comment on that, uh, Jamie, but I have to say that we, we are hoping that uh, you end up uh, on the Senate arguing this case so that you can come back and talk about it on skullduggery. All right. Well, we will be back to you as this drama continues. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Jay. All best. All right. Take care. We are now joined by Elizabeth Harrington, the national spokesperson for the Republican National Committee, to give us the perspective of uh, one of the president's uh, staunch supporters. Liz, welcome to Skullduggery. Hey, thank you for having me. So quite a week. The president was impeached. Is this going to be a permanent stain on his legacy as president? I think it's going to be a bigger legacy for Nancy Pelosi, and it'll be the death knell of her speakership. She'll be the first woman to lose the speakership not once but twice because of her actions on December 18th. I think it's a disgrace to use the unique power that's only been used three times now in our nation's history without an impeachable offense, without a high crime, without a misdemeanor, without anything other than the fact that the Democrats are still unhappy that they lost the 2016 election. Liz, what do you think they should have done? What should Speaker Pelosi have done short of what she did? In other words, once the whistleblower came forward and the transcript was released and everyone saw what happened in that phone conversation, should the Democrats have done anything? I mean, should they have investigated it? Should they have hold, held hearings? Or it was just nothing to do? Well, you're leaving out a big thing, which she announced impeachment before we saw that transcript. She announced it without any facts but, or evidence. Okay, but, but put impeachment aside. If not impeachment, the then ha- what? That 
go ahead and investigate. That's all they've been doing so there for were, a year. So there was right. go but, ahead. But right. you, Why not? You they accept, can investigate. No, no, no. Hold on. Yeah. A second. You accept that there were grounds to investigate. There was conduct that should have been investigated by the House of Representatives. He released the transcript and it showed there was nothing wrong. And it really blew. He called their bluff because what the Democrats were going to do was we have a registered Democrat who works in the CIA who colludes with Adam Schiff's committee. And he comes over. Oh, what does Adam Schiff do? He sets him up with a attorney who's been calling for a quote unquote coup against the president since January 2017. Uh, so they manufacture this whole thing. They change, oh, you don't need firsthand information anymore. Set aside. They say, oh, we really got him this time. And he's never going to release this. So it's just going to be like the Russia collusion fantasy. We can draw this out. We can you know, accuse him of all these crazy things, like tying mu the military aid that Obama never actually delivered uh, to these made-up investigations that didn't happen. But President Trump called their bluff. He released a transcript. And then they were really, oh, they can't accuse him of a cover-up anymore because he released it well and he showed that they did no, he did nothing wrong here and it was completely different than what they were accusing well, him look, of, a lot of people which adam schiff was tweeting out what the he claims he doesn't know who this person is what was in this person's complaint before and it was even out there so it look, was completely manufactured a lot of people including many republicans don't accept for a minute the idea that there was nothing wrong in the transcript uh, clearly the president in his own words asked the president of ukraine to investigate one of his political rivals that's there it's clear, it's plain, and on its face, a lot of people, including many Republicans, accept that as wrong, improper. You heard, you know what Mitt Romney, the Republican candidate for president, said about this, how he was appalled by the words in the president's transcript. That's not a lefty re Democrat. That's the Republican candidate for president in 2012 saying it. The so then the question was, you know, we also knew from the transcript and from the fallout afterwards, that the military aid to Ukraine had been withheld by under orders from the president. So on its face, there was a question, was there a connection between the withholding of military aid and the request for investigations of the Bidens? Was that a matter that should have been legitimately investigated by the House of Representatives? Yes or no? It was never legitimately going to be investigated because this was no, manufactured sh by them. Should it have been legitimately investigated? What, uh, Democrats control the House. The reason, they can choose no, no, if the, they want to investigate this or not. But the, can we talk about what was on the phone call? Yes. Because. Please. First, if you're talking about the aid, he says, number one complaint, where's Europe? You're, why, why isn't Merkel? I agree, Merkel? and we've pointed okay. that out on this I show. I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot. Right. July 25th, 2019. July 24th, Robert Mueller testified. And finally, it was exposed, the collusion, mm -hmm. which you, of course, should know a lot about, that whole and narrative. Yes. Um, it completely blew up. Two years, $32 million, all based on a Hillary Clinton campaign lie and a smear campaign. Two years. There was never any collusion. FBI, we, now we know, Inspector General report, it's out. They knew it was bunk. They, they, the only evidence they had was of no collusion, and yet they put the country through. Our country has been through a lot. So two years, and President Trump's not allowed to spend two minutes asking, can we get to the bottom of this, please? 
how, and Ukraine, of course, is involved. Ukraine, one of these Ukrainian members of parliament was a source for Fusion GPS. This is an outrage. And President Trump had his presidency under siege based on a bunch of lies, a collusion, conspiracy theory. He has every I... single right to ask Ukraine to cooperate with the legitimate Justice Department investigation into just how that happened. You should want to know the same lies they told the FISA court you were writing in Yahoo News. You should. We, well, we should all want to know. Right. And I think we've and learned a lot. And that's what the favor lot. was about. Yes, right. But let's just go back to... First of all, there were two requests the president made, one of into interference in the 2016 election. And you, one can plausibly relate that to the concerns you're raising there, although the president's nonsensical comments about a missing server in Ukraine, which absolutely nobody believes is the case. But the request for the Bidens has nothing to do with anything you just mentioned. And that's what that was the second request that the president made, the request to the Bidens. So my question to you, which you didn't answer, is was it legitimate for the House to investigate whether there was a connection between the withholding of military aid and the request for the investigation into the Bidens? That's the question. I don't. I, it, sure. They can, sure. They, they should have investigated. OK, we, we just made we news here. RNC oh, spokesperson okay, sure. says the House, it was totally legitimate for so, the House to investigate. There was a connection. Yeah. And guess what? They never found it. Well, Actually, their star witness, the only person who had ever even talked to the president, said, oh, not a single person on the planet told him that the money Again, that was never provided by Obama or Biden. You know, this direct right. threat to national security. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Where were the whistleblowers back in 2015, in 2016? Obama, he didn't give Ukraine lethal aid. Why wasn't he impeached? It's absolutely absurd. And, you know, if they were if they were wanted to be honest about the facts and the truth here, yeah. they could investigate it. What would they find? Right. That it was about why aren't our allies doing more? I, President Trump has said this from the very beginning. He doesn't like, why, why, why are we the suckers? He said that Senator Johnson conversation with the president about this. I talked to Angela Merkel and I asked her, you know, why isn't, why are you guys doing anymore? She, cause we know you, you'll pay. And he says, we're, we're suckers. I don't want to do that. So that was number one. That's in the transcript. And there was no connection. President Zelensky said there's no connection, no quid pro quo, no matter, you know, that's what the Democrats were poll testing, bribery, and it didn't even end up in their articles because it didn't exist. It wasn't tied. Every single Ukrainian has said this that was involved directly. Why Zelensky, was the, the foreign minister, yeah, there was the no connection. How about the request for an investigation into the, into the Bidens? What, what's the theory of the case there? What is the crime? What actually needed to be investigated? Again, so if you're going back to the transcript, it's a free-flowing conversation. I'd like to do us a favor, though. It jumps down like 600 words. Okay, but he says it. I mean, he asks for guess it. it. So, so the thing is, you have Joe Biden on tape bragging about how he got a prosecutor fired. Oh, Mr. Tough Guy withheld a billion dollars from Ukraine. You know, our biggest ally and who we need to help so much was threatening them. But that's because that prosecutor, Unless among other they, things, was not investigating Burisma. Here's a good question, right? Is was George Kent 
wrong in 2015 to raise a red flag and say, what is your son doing on the board of this company? Is no, that wrong? They, no, that no, was absolutely right absolutely about that. That's the same yeah. thing that, that President was, Trump did. What, right, but what did that have to do it with anything? It was in anything? the news. Why in, that was in 2015. President Zelensky brought it up. This is in 2019. Four years later, the, the president New, the is New Yorker bringing had up a really nice profile pro- on Hunter Biden uh, just uh, right before this phone call. It was all out It actually wasn't before the phone call, I don't believe, but in any yes, case, the point is, yes, there were legitimate questions about Hunter Biden's yeah. role. And, Absolutely. And, and certainly as a candidate for president, Joe Biden was going to be asked a lot of questions about that. But why is this a matter that the president is raising with the president of Ukraine? What, of it's a all the conversation. Issues, it's barely a mention. And it has well, nothing to do with 2020. Uh, President has nothing Zelensky, to do with 2020? Pre- no, his favor was about 2016. An election interference yeah. that we used and to all really c- care, uh, yeah. uh, claim to care about. No, what he's saying, President Zelensky's the one that brings up draining the swamp. President Zelensky's the one that says, oh yeah, we had these bad prosecutors. President Trump just says, oh, I heard about a prosecutor. Biden's on tape, you know, bragging how he got a prosecutor fired. And people were wondering about that. It, all he said was, it sounds terrible to me. And it certainly does sound terrible to every American that's looking at this objectively. How is it two months after his son gets kicked out of the Navy? Two months after President or Vice President Biden takes over policy for Ukraine, so running you, so point. Why they, why Hunter Biden have, ends up, what are so they wait, paying for? Want, why, what are these, they paying him you for? You want these issues to be sorted out by the Ukrainian government? Yeah, why doesn't that I mean, his what, Justice Department what is, investigate it? What, what is the Ukrainian government's role in sorting this out? Why if do we trust the Ukrainians to investigate it? Why not we have, should investigate right, it. Right, why not have Barr investigate it? That's what he said. He said attorney no, general. No, but he said he was wrong about that. Yeah, he said, yeah, you mentioned Bill Barr. And Barr, yeah, and Barr said, said he knew, knew nothing, nothing about, about it. it. Well, okay. Well, look, it, it, the idea, the new standard that if you're running for president, you can enter into as many shady foreign deals as you want. And no one's ever asked to, allowed to even bring it up. You get a pass because it's election interference. It's a completely ludicrous standard. Everyone knows that this was so shady. Everywhere Vice President Biden went, his son cashed in. What exactly was he selling there? That, that's a legitimate question, and it actually hasn't ever been looked into. And the Obama administration was worried about it, too. I because they were prepping. Why, why is Rudy, if, I agree it's a legitimate question, but why is... Rudy Giuliani investigating it. Why isn't the, the president using his powers? Uh, he's the president's to, personal lawyer. But he, why, what, he's why not use to, the Justice Department? You know, if you listen to what, and also it's very offensive that we're now treating a, a an amazing mayor who brought New York City back, a prosecutor. We're not treating him as like a fringe individual or something. He's well, under investigation yeah. by the office he used he's to acting head. a little fringy these and, days. And you listen to what he says. Because his two main associates it. are he's under He's defending indictment. President Trump. Exactly what President Trump said. A lot of it had to do with Ukraine. Uh, this collusion nightmare, this lie started by Hillary Clinton. A lot of it had to do with Ukraine. If Rudy Giuliani's defending the president in that whole debacle of a lie from Hillary's campaign accusing him of treason and stealing the election, it led him there. 
But it Why is suge- he not allowed to defend Well, it's just because it kind of suggests client. it kind of suggests he can't get anyone else to defend him on, on on these issues. He can't get the Justice Department or the Attorney General to take on this well, this we'll case. We'll see. We'll see what Durham's report ends up saying. Um, we will. Do you want to hear from John Bolton? I, that's the White House's call. No, I'm asking if you want to hear from John Bolton. I'm. It's don't, not my personal curious? opinion. Doesn't matter. Well, I mean, he's not yeah. going to say anything. And well, there's nothing wrong we here. We don't know there's what he's got to say. There's absolutely nothing wrong. No, they, I mean, the you, president. You have said. You have asserted that there was no connection between the withholding of military aid and the request to do these investigations. As you know, there's there is there is disputed fact. testimony on this. It's um, a presumption. Uh, it's hearsay. Uh, well, Rudy Giuliani, we know, wrote a statement for Zelensky to give saying... Here's the investigations he will launch, right? And Gordon Sondland made it clear that as as the president's guy on this, he viewed a connection between those investigations and the um, withholding of military aid. He was the guy on the ground. The president's choice to be his point man on this. And as he interpreted what the president told him, that's the way he saw it. But let me uh, a so, presumption so, and nobody on Earth, again, on planet Earth, planet Earth ever told him they were connected. So that right. really he, doesn't sound he, like a rock he solid. He listened case. to they what the president known. had to say. He listened to the instructions he was getting. He listened to Rudy Giuliani <laughs> and he drew his conclusions. John Bolton maybe hearing conversations at a bar. You know, all of this sounds so familiar. Hearsay upon hearsay. It's the okay. same junk it's the same smears it's the same dossier playbook it's absolutely absurd all right the president clearly feels wronged here by this process <laughs> yeah uh, I would and say he so. gave a two-hour talk uh in uh, michigan the night of his impeachment and i want to play you an excerpt from what he had to say in the course of that speech then you have this dingle dingle you know Dingo from Michigan? You know Dingo? You ever hear of her, Michigan? Debbie Dingo, that's a real beauty. So she calls me up like eight months ago. Her husband was there a long time. But I didn't give him the B treatment. I didn't give him the C or the D. I could have. Nobody would have, you know. I gave the A-plus treatment. Take down the flags. Why are you taking them down? For ex-congressman Dingo. Oh. Okay, do this, do that, do that. Rotunda, everything. I gave him everything. That's okay. I don't want anything for it. I don't need anything for anything. She calls me up. It's the nicest thing that's ever happened. Thank you so much. John would be so thrilled. He's looking down. He'd be so Thank you so much, sir. I said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Maybe he's looking up. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But let's assume he's looking down. After those comments, Debbie Dingell tweeted, Mr. President, let's set politics aside. My husband earned all his accolades after a lifetime of service. I'm preparing for the first holiday season without the man I love. You brought me down in a way you can never imagine, and your hurtful words just made my healing much harder. Are you uplifted when you hear 
President Trump making the kind of comments he did the other night. What your listeners cannot see is he was responding to something in the crowd, a statement. And the point, the overarching point he was making, which is very uh, true about and the same thing that Nancy Pelosi's doing when she, you know, stops her caucus from cheering like they wanted to when they baselessly impeached him uh, last night. These politicians will say one thing behind closed doors and then they'll turn back around and say the worst things to you in public. And they're two-faced and they're insincere and they lie for a living. And here's a man who didn't have to come to this town. He was an outsider. He had a very nice life. Gave it all. Actually, a good press coverage, you know, his entire decades in New York City. And uh, what, what do they do? You know, he beats the odds. He proves everyone wrong. He has the most historic upset in at least modern American history. And what do they do? They say, oh, wow, we didn't see this coming. We were wrong. No, you're a stooge for Putin. You stole the election. And ever since they've been working to sabotage him and leak, fighting against him every step of the way. And now they do this really awful thing and try to brand him with impeachment when he did nothing impeachable. He has every right. When you look in the context of what Congress right is talk, doing, he has every right that, to be upset. Okay, but upset what does it with really politicians have to do with, you know, do a, this? a widow who is mourning the death of her husband, who was the longest serving member of Congress, that suggests that he's looking up from hell, which is what the clear suggestion was. Even if everything you said was true, was that appropriate? Should he have said that? He, again, he was responding to what, what somebody that? else what is said. So what? what is that? So what? We certainly, you know, wish the best for Representative Dingle, and we're sorry for her loss. Are the you sorry for point, the president's comments? Do you regret you that the president said that? Look at that in context. Look at the whole thing. What is what argument is what is he talking about there? He's talking about politicians that. Lie. No, he's talking about Debbie Dingell, who, by the way, did not support impeachment over the Russia investigation. She specifically opposed going down that road over what you call the Russia hoax. Um, <laughs> wait, but wait, she did. You, you don't think what? it was a hoax? I think it is undisputed that Russia engaged in what Robert Mueller called a systematic campaign of interfering in our election. And the main thrust of Mueller's investigation is into what the Russians did during 2016 election. I assume you agree that the Russians did launch and engage in a systematic campaign to disrupt our election and that that was wrong and needed to be investigated. I assume you agree with that. I assume that you agree that collusion was a lie. And I would also like to ask you, do you have anything to say to Carter Page? Do you have anything to say to him? That the fact that your news article was used to mislead a FISA court to spy on an innocent American when the FBI knew that he was a CIA asset for the U.S.? Do you have anything to say to him? I mean, I'm curious. Yes. I mean, I'm curious. <laughs> well, I will say a few things to you. First of all, I'm not with the FBI. I didn't put the Steele dossier into the FISA warrant you application. You sure put it in the fake news media I, narrative. No, I accurately reported that the FBI was investigating allegations relating to Carter Page. And what Page. was the purpose that of that? Was, 
What was the purpose of to reporting the that the yeah. FBI was because it was true engaging? Oh, it was yeah, and why were they doing investigating? That? Well, hold on a second. And oh, well, I have that. Was it accurately? <laughs> was oh, it Hillary a legitimate story? Hillary that, for America's statement about the bombshell report about Trump said chilling ties to the Kremlin. Yes. They were yeah. so chilled by the story for the that record, they played. Isakoff right. does not write Hillary's I, I, uh, press I releases. Oh, I don't it. work for the she FBI, and I don't work. September twenty third. She loved it. I don't so work Obama's for the FBI, FBI, and I don't it's work just funny. for the I just wonder uh, what Hillary the purpose campaign. of that was. The was it maybe of, to promote this phony narrative? No, it was to report what the FBI was doing during the 2016 election. We had many stories, some of which oh, I, I wrote. I know. About Glenn Simpson the FBI's, was busy. Christopher Steele, they were busy. We had many stories about the FBI investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails, which, by the way, did not result in any criminal charges. Oh, yeah, against, they had written the exam. So, several months before. So I don't course. know. I, I haven't heard you call the the, the investigation Hillary email and, hoax. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard you refer to that as a hoax. Did she not have a not secret result. private server? Did, did she not have classified information? Did the president not have that? multiple contacts with members of the, of the you Russian government? Did you could say that about any. Was Donald country. Trump was Donald break. Trump not trying to do a business deal in Moscow while he was running for president that was concealed from the American public? Oh, so that's co- that's your collusion now? A, a, a tower now. that was never I'm built? Sorry, that it's led so to, absurd. That led to you criminal charges know, You against... know very well yeah. that this was all a lie. That you know what was all a lie? Collusion that the Russians... with Russia yes. was a lie. I happen to agree with you that many of the allegations, certainly the sensational allegations in the Steele dossier, many of which were promoted by members of the media long after they should have been, did not pan out at all. And it was wrong for the press to accept them as and more, true. And moreover, some Isikoff us, was expressing Some of us were among ex- the first skepticism to about say... That. These allegations are likely not to pan out and are likely to be proven false. In fact, the president, the president who you so stalwartly defend, actually tweeted thanking me for my comments on this. So let's be clear that some of us can look at the facts and the evidence and adjust what we think about them and adjust what we report but I'm not hearing any of that from you. You are. You I know, still didn't hear any, anything to Carter Page. Is there still anything? No, listen, Carter like to Page. Apo- at least I, I, acknowledge listen, that fact that I, he was a U.S. asset, and not a Russian. I one? read the Inspector General report as closely as you did, and I accept its findings. And it turns out that there were many things the FBI did was wrong, including citing my article as evidence to submit to the FISA court. And by the uh, way, I was as shocked. About that, and I think we made news. I think we no, made because I said it a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, when, when the Nunes, I said it was pretty stunning yeah. at and the time. We did it on our podcast when the Nunes the report came out. That. Yeah, we were we okay, were but sort all of astounded that they had done that. All we raised a lot of questions related, about it you, because Absolutely. the same people who lied to us not, about collusion yeah. are the same people that manufactured this hit job. It's Adam Adam Schiff went on television every single night and practically saying he had evidence of collusion. Defending is the same president who was perpetuating the hoax that Barack Obama was born in Kenya. Come on, if that's your standards, then you know what? then when we we're should raise about, questions about, about everything overturning that President the will Trump of the American said. people less than a year before well, the now election. you're talking about whether impeachment and removal is justified, and I think that's a legitimate question to debate.
That's that's separate and apart of whether there was misconduct from the president that should have been investigated and should be addressed. Those are two separate issues. And if you could accept, as many Republicans the have, investigated that the conduct and they was wrong, failed to prove their case, they failed completely. And you know how I have evidence of that? Look at the articles of, of impeachment. There's no quid pro quo. There's no bribery. There's no extortion. There's nothing because they couldn't prove it. They had no direct evidence. There's a very simple reason why the aid was withheld. New president getting Europe to do more. Uh, and that was it. And why then did, Congress no was one... going to vote for it the same day. They, were gonna, they had a veto proof. <laughs> they were going to vote for it. It's like, OK, release it. Why? And this is a conspiracy theory. By the same people that have been pushing the other conspiracy theory. If that was such a, I mean, why are we, uh, can we, yeah, another question. Why are we not allowed to know who the whistleblower is, a registered Democrat who works for the CIA? I've heard plenty of Republicans suggest they do know who the whistleblower is. No, but why, how come we're not allowed to talk about it? Someone who's trying well, to trigger an impeachment and overturn 63 million Americans. Talk about well, it. Why is the rest of the media? Why well, don't you? Why are, are you guys talking about I it? I mean, Please. I think I think the reason is because if you read the whistleblower complaint and a plain reading suggests he was calling attention to the transcript of this phone call, which he saw, which concerned a lot of people. He didn't see it. Uh, in he didn't the national, see it. It was which he was told about, hand. which he was but told about, and it turned out it was accurate. That it was Come accurate. On. You guys are so, smart. You guys are smart. You read well, that. Yeah. Who that was yeah. definitely written by some attorneys. Maybe, but it's irrelevant. Uh, it's irrelevant. The how question is it read? That's why we're all here. The question is, is what it's he said in the, was it true relevant. or not? Was his account of the phone and call accurate or not? It was. No, it wasn't. What was inaccurate? There was no quid pro quo. There was nothing, there was nothing tying. I think, I think until we it hear was third, from fourth hand gossip. sworn and testimony to from. read it, it's not what he said. It is not what he said. He had no direct firsthand knowledge. How did those rules get changed? How is it that he can suddenly get this complaint? This, it's such a rigged hit job. Everyone can see it. So Everyone can see it. It was clearly designed. This guy, it's a glorified leak. It's clearly designed to gussy it up, get into this official urgent, 19 days later, urgent complaint designed to trigger an impeachment. What do you think should That's happen the to the whistleblower? Goal, and we is, absolutely... Is, how, could, how, how do you think the whistleblower should be held accountable if... He, we get to... What, we should if ask what him under oath is, yeah. who he talked to on Adam Schiff's committee. We should ask him all of these things. Who he talked to at the NSC. Who were, who were his sources? We absolutely should know. This is leaking what use, what was should have been classified information. And that's another thing that ties this whole thing together. The amount of criminal leaking by the Obama administration against a new incoming administration is appalling and they've never been held to account and it's the same game it is the same exact game they've been trying to undermine him from the very beginning through lies leaks and smears and that's what people aren't going to buy this you saw him out last night he was with the people in battle creek michigan democrats were in the swamp vowing to take away the people's votes that's um, what it was we're gonna we think have a Senate trial in a few weeks. Do you believe that, uh, or do you want to see Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and the whistleblower testify at the Senate trial? I think it would be a service to the American people to finally get to the bottom of all this. They're clearly relevant is people. The, however, um, it is the White House and and the Senate. Uh, it's their it's their call. It's their, what, what is the RNC's messaging as we go into this next phase of the impeachment drama? Do you have 
ads planned? Do you have particular lines that you're going to be pushing over the next few weeks that you want the public to know and how you want the Senate to respond? We're just keep on with the same message that's been consistent from the beginning. This is a political hit job and the House Democrats have voted to take away your voice. Less than a year out from the next election, they are telling you your vote doesn't matter. And we're absolutely on the ground already. And uh, we never left a lot of those states, the swing states, but we've expanded the map. And we're holding all of these these Trump districts, these Democrats that sit there. There's 31 of them. Mm-hmm. They, what are they going to tell their constituents? They're already hearing it from them. They lied to get into office. They didn't. So you got ads working. planned well, targeting yeah, we, we, the districts. We, we, had, we already House did the members. biggest ad buy we had done in years. Uh, How much? It was 11 million right when it kicked off. I think we're planning on more ads. Um, we're we're very organized. We work very closely with the campaign, uh, and we're all over the place. So do you absolutely. Think that, but it, that- it isn't it funny that now the Democrats are uh, going to complain about process in the Senate and oh. It's such an urgent, dire threat to democracy. But now Nancy Pelosi's just going to sit on it for a while. It's complete farce. So just as a pure political matter, for the next 11 months, I mean, until the election, is, you know, the impeachment sham, as I think you would describe it, is that going to be like a central strategy for the RNC and and, uh, and for the Trump campaign? Or uh, do you sort of talk about it now and then when impeachment kind of fades, you emphasize other things? Or is this going to be like a pillar of the strategy going forward? Because well, of the, I mean, you clearly well, you think there's gonna be a big. Backlash. It's hard not to, you know, forget what they did here, and I, I think it absolutely is because this is what it's about. They're trying to damage him politically going into his reelection year, brand him with this eye uh, after his name. It's ridiculous, and we'll see. Well, I, I'll keep bringing it up, and people won't forget what they did here. It was a complete railroad job. They didn't have the facts or evidence. They didn't wait for the courts obstruction of Congress is a complete absurd charge when in fact now Nancy Pelosi is obstructing the Senate and not going to let them do their sole power to try impeachments. Um, People won't forget and it's going to backfire on them big time just like they railroaded Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. People remembered that and it's going to be very similar here. It's it's fundamentally unfair and unjust. Just a quick question about polling because There have been a lot of polls on impeachment. We've done a bunch. I think we've got one coming out uh, later today. They've all pretty much shown that, like, there has not been a lot of movement since this impeachment inquiry began. Um, The country is totally divided. And I wonder if if that's what you're seeing in the polling that you all have done, or are you seeing something something different? Are you seeing evidence that this uh, that there is a backlash, um, or is it? Just divided the way we are all seeing in the public polls. No, there's definitely a backlash. And you know what you also see polls going in a different direction. The president's approval has gone up six points. That shows you right there. And look at the public polling for these presidential candidates. We've almost forgotten they're running for president. They're doing a debate, supposedly. They're down in the low 40s. I mean, that tells you a lot. There's a public poll which always has underestimated President Trump's support. That tells you a lot about what the public is at and what they think about what the Democrats are doing. Because why bother? They're going in a debate stage tonight. Why bother debating? They just made it clear. They don't care how you vote. They don't want to earn your vote. They'll just accuse you of stealing the election 
and then try for three years to overturn it. And that's what they're about. And our internal polling, especially in these districts and these swing districts, uh, I think you see um, our campaign manager, uh, Brad Parscale, shared some of that on Twitter the other day. It is so underwater for impeachment with these vulnerable Democrats. They're going to be held to account. So your prediction right now, the Republicans take back the House. I think you think that's going to happen. Absolutely. Hold the Senate. Does Trump win the popular vote? He could. <laughs> that didn't sound confident. <laughs> I, I mean, you act like, I mean, here's the thing about the popular vote, which he said a million times, could be really easy. Just campaign in two places. I mean, look at what's happening in California. They've gone so far left. I mean, they're, California, New York, there's your three million votes, okay? It's it's a lousy standard. We never wanted direct democracy. Well, they are. Well, those it's going to be a American landslide. Citizens. I think he can By the way, those are legitimate voters. Yeah, and, you know, the swamp voted 92% for Hillary Clinton. I don't think those are the same. You get the same kind of election results when uh, dictators rig it. I mean, 90%. It's absolute absurd. It's not represent, representative of where the country's at. Where are you I from? think you would agree. I'm from uh, Maryland. Voted blue, as I recall, in yeah. the last election. Liz Harrington, uh, we were told when we booked you that you were, quote, scrappy. I think you've lived up to the advance <laughs> billing, and I thank you for I joining us. I think you will win the popular vote. I'm going to go on. All right. Right. Going yeah. back to that. Electoral college landslide, right. that's All right. for sure. All right. Thanks thank a you. lot. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Congressman Jamie Raskin and RNC National Spokesperson Elizabeth Harrington for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Pod. We'll talk to you soon.